Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Biedi. So David, are you going to be attending any UFO conferences this year? I'm kind of on the fence myself. I haven't figured out yet whether there is one that's worthy of my presence, which might sound like an egomaniacal statement, but I've gone to a number of them. And, you know, I'm looking for something new. New thrills, new excitement. New you adventure. haven't been to something in years, though, right? No, I haven't been, let's see, two years, two, three years ago, I attended this conference in Las Vegas, the Crash Retrieval Conference, Ryan right. Wood. Right, right. It was so good it motivated you to go back to more. Yes, I was so excited from that experience that I said to myself, from here on until the end of time, I will continue. To attend UFO conferences every single day, mm-hmm. every day, every day, every day, yeah, every second of every minute. So I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I'll tell you, Gene. I've gone to the last couple of X conferences in Gaithersburg. You know the the event put on by Stephen Bassett. But I was looking at the lineup for this year's X conference in April, and uh, oh man, it, it uh, so. You have people. I assume that you really wanted to say something else other than uh, but then that would be offensive to our listeners. Well, here's the thing. How many times can you have the same people say the same thing, which is probably what some people think about the Paracast. But the lineup is, well, you have people like Richard Dolan. We really like Richard Dolan. We love having him on the show. Richard uh, sometimes is a little controversial, but for the most part, is fairly solid. Okay, pretty pretty good stuff. Of course, we're all waiting for his next uh, addition to his, uh, I guess, what's going to be his trilogy, and hopefully he'll be making some announcements about that soon. But uh, on the other hand, you have people like Paula Harris or Alfred Weber, who uh, I really didn't know much about until I went to one of the X conferences and saw him speak, and uh, and I was horrified, just horrified. The guy is just absolutely ridiculous and 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 then then it gets ugly then you have people like jeff peckman now we've talked about peckman on the show before we've we've mentioned his metatron harmonizer what a joke uh he achieved some prominence last year because of the stan romanek joker who we also had on the show and and the guy is just you know it's just silly the whole thing the infamous Alien in the window video, which no one has ever seen to this day, except for some small handful of people who were obviously not very impressed by it. This guy goes on the Letterman show and actually gets treated with some amount of respect from Letterman, which uh, was really odd to begin with. But you're going to have him at an event, a serious event. Uh, I don't know. Will he be selling his Metatron Harmonizer in the product room? This is the thing. it's, It's just... It's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. And and it's sad because you have people like Edgar Mitchell showing up to this thing, who is an interesting speaker. Obviously, uh, you've got to have respect for a man who's walked on the moon. And I know that there were some funny stories that came out of uh, last year's event where Jeremy bought a, Jeremy Vaney bought a, uh, an Edgar Mitchell book. And Mitchell charged him extra for the uh, autograph, which was, I, I don't know, I think that's Wait, sort of what? Stuff. Yeah, he talked about that on the show, where he, yeah, Edgar right. Mitchell made him pay extra money for his autograph. Oh, boy. Which is just a little, I don't know, it's a little low rent. <laughs> I, that's low rent 
for low rent. Whenever I hear about these these baseball, you know, Hall of Famers, and they go to these events, and you take up things from the sign, and they charge you twenty, thirty dollars to sign their name. I, it's just a little odd. I look at that whole thing, and it's a little distasteful to me. But um, still, Edgar Mitchell, guy spent nine, was like nine hours on the moon. I mean, you have to be in awe of someone like that. And then, of course, we have people like George Norrie with his special presentation. I mean, this is a guy who's got nothing to say, absolutely nothing to say, and spends a lot of time saying it. And so here's Bassett, Stephen Bassett, who has been trying to wrap some level of seriousness around all this. And he's got these people showing up who do nothing but pee in the pool. Michael Sala, oh goody. Uh, <laughs> not to be confused with, with Robert Salas from the Maelstrom incident. No, we're talking about Michael Sala, the exopolitics guy who is just another, just a clown. A clown. And so I, I look at all this, and, and it makes me think, this, is, this field can't move ahead. While we have events like this, with people like this, and, and you have the good, the good work of Richard Dolan being mixed in with the nonsense of Paula Harris, just the nonsense. And I know that Rich and his wife are not happy about the fact that I called her out, for example, at Jeremy Vaney's Culture of Contact event in Jersey City last year. I, I did a presentation and I called out Paula Harris and Rob Simone and the rest of these jokers, these clowns, who really just don't contribute anything useful to the field. That Bassett is put, continuing to give these people a venue really now makes me think that uh, uh, Bassett's up to something. He's up to something. I know He's claimed he's lost money on every one of these events, and so now he's going to do another one. In these trying economic times, he's going to put more of his money on the line. I, I, don't, I don't believe it. So certainly we have to get Bassett back on the show soon, but I, I'll promise our listeners that this next time we're not going to be so nice to him anymore because he's got, a, he, he's got some splaining to do about Jeff Peckman on the bill. I'm really sorry. There's just no way. Jeff Peckman, a guy who just recently uh, on a website we shall not mention, if you want to know more about this, go search out on the Paracast forums, the thing about his little write-up about the uh, Swiss UFO religious cult nonsense. Peckman basically saying, oh, Obama has to know about these. Look at these great photos Obama must know about this. Then he will move towards disclosure. Well, you know what Peckman just did? Jeannie took a massive dump on the whole idea of any serious discussion of disclosure. There it is. He just basically defiled the whole thing. Like he's done repeatedly now. So Bassett's giving him a platform. I want to hear Bassett's explanation about that. I think we have to get him on as soon as possible. And maybe the key here is to say, listen... You know, we want to have you on the show because there are things we want to discuss about the future of the disclosure movement and about his position, his point of view, and then see what he has to say about it. I mean, whatever we're saying here, of course, is going to get back to him. It's not as if this goes out in the ether and it's a silence uh, uh-huh. on the part of anyone. What we say here, he will hear about, and he'll have a chance to make a decision as to whether he wants to come back. But certainly, if he is being on the level completely, okay, justify it. If you feel these people are entertaining, it brings in audiences, 
and you need to have an audience in order for this to be able to continue year after year. You have to make that kind of sacrifice. Well, say that. Well, level are, 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 are we going to screen Mars Attacks as well? Because that's a very popular movie that brings in the paying audience. I mean, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Do you run Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds? A double bill with that and Mars Attacks? Because, oh, you know, that uh, it's very entertaining and people pay money for that. Is that what you do? I mean, that was his whole justification for Nori's keynote last year. Well, you know, he attracts a certain element. Yeah, morons. So is that what you want to associate with your, your movement? Morons? I mean, is that the bottom line here? Because if so, well, certainly I, I don't think I'm going to be attending the X conference this year. I don't, I don't see any reason to do it, honestly, outside of perhaps entertainment value. But I'm tired of the entertainment value around this stuff. You know, we're trying to foster more reasonable discussions of this stuff and chop away the noise from the signal. Well, eight-tenths of the people who are taking the stage at the X conference are nothing but noise, and it's just not acceptable. Yeah, and I think at this point, if we're going to take that position, which is certainly one I agree with, we have to say, hey, we're not going to attend any UFO conferences unless they are events that we can, as they say, sink our teeth into, enjoy. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see how far that goes. Uh, we won't even get into the lineup at the UFO Congress that is happening as we tape this show. Uh, I'm, we're not going to get into that. You know, you've got David Sarita talking about getting to Andromeda instantly. Hey, David, when are you leaving? Don't let the, the, the door hit your ass on the way out. Meanwhile, on a serious note, we have our friend Scott Corrales today, the, uh, the guy who runs Inexplicata, uh, and who is really the main link be, between English-speaking society and the Latin American UFO scene. So we're very excited to get a nice big update on everything that's been going on in South America in the last, uh, what, six, seven months since we had uh, uh, Scott on. There's been a tremendous amount of activity. So I look forward to having a reasonable, rational conversation with an intelligent person. Coming up next on The Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. 
That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Scott Carellis, I was looking over at your site, Inexplicata, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong. No, 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 you're quite, quite all right. Okay, that in C is all I know about Spanish, okay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I don't want to insult anybody, but this is the Journal of Hispanic Ufology, and there is so much great material there. And we were talking a few minutes before the interview began. You said, basically, I don't know where to begin. I have so much stuff. And I got one right here. I'm going to read the headline. And I'm interested in this one because of the obvious consequences and the implications. Here's the headline. Argentina, UFO fires beams over Alto Rosario again. Again? Again. Oh, boy. This has, if if you... um Go back a little bit before, we had a report from uh, Silvia Perez Simondini from the Vision OVNI group down there in Rosario. And she was given some video footage taken in 2007 by a young man who was told at the time by his family, do not do this, do not get involved with this UFO foolishness, nothing good will come of it. So he sat on the video, his little you know, cell phone uh, recording, um, for the past two years, and finally turned it over to um, to Miss Simondini, and she put it on on the web. And this is just part of what's been going on down there. You have these beam firing UFOs. It happened again on jo- uh, January 30th into the 31st. We now have reports of a beam firing UFO in Mexico, somewhat before, and it dovetails with information. You'll also see that on um, on the site of uh, beam-firing UFOs here stateside back in the 60s. So what are these beams? What is this urge uh, to fire flashlights against the ground? I mean, we don't know. Oh, boy. Scott, I'm looking at this footage right now, and in fact, I guess you must have just put this up. This uh, morning. Just this morning, yeah. I haven't seen this yet. So I'm just looking at this now, uh, right as we speak, and... It, uh, I don't know. It something's a little weird about this. I just saw right now that one little flash come down. Right. That one beam come down, and and I have to look at this more carefully, obviously. But I I don't know that it looks real to me. I, the light in the sky, that looks real. But that one little shot of a beam I just saw. I don't know. It, I, again, I have to look at it more carefully. I've got to watch it more carefully. I have no, to look no, at it no. More. Understandably, as I said, I know nothing about this. I get the information. I convey it. Um, whether I, I can't speak to the truth of it, if it's been manipulated, I wouldn't. I'd be the wrong person to ask. Ask me about medieval Spanish. I can tell you anything you want, but not about. <laughs> well, I'll give you an example. This 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 uh, video also has some audio with it, right? So, we see. Again, there's this one real quick shot of light, just beep. And to, to my mind, to my way of understanding things, forget the visual aspect of it, which, again, it looks a little odd to me. And it's also uh, web-compressed video, which is already... I mean, it's cell phone video. That's heavily compressed. It's been compressed yet again being put on the web. So all sorts of artifacts are introduced that 
make it more difficult to make any kind of a rational analysis of it, any kind of a useful analysis of it. But something I just noticed, and again, I'm watching it right now while, while we're having this conversation, is that when that first shot of light comes down, there doesn't seem to be any reaction on the part of the person who is shooting this. I find that odd. That's not what you would expect to have happen if someone was really shooting this, saw something like that happen, they, they, they would go, hey, que coño, que fue eso? You know, they, they'd, right. say, they'd say something like that. They don't say anything like that in this video. What? I don't know. That, that's, and I'm not trying to say that that necessarily invalidates the whole thing. I don't want to say no. that. Well, as I said, it, when it comes to validation and validation, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm 6,000 miles away from the events. I can only trust my sources, trust their integrity and believe that if they're going to post something that they're going to stake their reputations on. They've looked at this, they believe uh, in the integrity of the person who gave them the information. And the technical aspect, I mean, if this is a forgery, if there's anything else involved, some kind of manipulation, like I said, I'm the wrong person to ask. I, I wouldn't know. You're, you're, you obviously, you know more about it. I mean, I certainly don't. And this is one of the things we're getting. Uh, you have to decide when you're 6,000 miles away with no chance of going to Argentina to do any kind of, you know, boots on the ground kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, who are your sources? Uh, there's a lot of information. Go to YouTube. You'll see a lot of videos taken at the same place, same time. A lot of self-proclaimed experts trying to make the planet Venus pass for flying saucer. I mean, that's a time-honored tradition in this field. Yeah. And, um, you know, many of these reports... At least I don't bother with. Others, because we've known these people for years, some of these names, for example, Visionovni, this group in particular, they go back to the events um, in Entre Rios, in that particular province of, of Argentina, going back to the 80s. They've been around, and they're not going anywhere. So uh, I, I do tend to believe that if there's trickery, it would be at the, uh, the source, let's say the eyewitness, but not anything having to do with the UFO group. Right, right. And I'm not trying to imply that the group is trying to pass something off. I mean, it goes without saying, but we have to say it. The tools for doing post-production work on any kind of video are really widespread now. They're, they're relatively expensive, and people are getting fairly sophisticated with what they can do. Now, again, not knowing anything else about this particular video, this one little video right here that right. you've got on the Rosario UFO, January 31st, 2009. Right. To me, that, that beam that comes out of it, it doesn't match up with what I have read as accounts of beams coming out of, of these objects. Uh, it's a very quick pulse. It's, it's almost too straight. It's almost too uniform. When you see things that are, are genuine, what you, you have is, for example... Uh, things like stochastic noise. You have atmosphere. This is one of the things, by the way, that when we evaluate pho photographic evidence of, of any kind of an anomalous event, things are, are, are subject to the laws of nature and physics, uh, especially when captured on a camera. Now, a camera is a light-gathering device, and so you expect to see certain things happen. For example, if an object is far away from the camera, you expect to see a certain amount of atmospheric density in front of the object. In other words, air is not perfectly transparent. There's all sorts of contaminants. There's all sorts of dust and dirt floating around the air at any time, at all times. And 
the further something is from a photographic capture device, the more of that atmospheric noise you will see in the photo. There are all sorts of techniques, for example, even in, uh, in the world of 3D, that allow you to simulate the effects of that atmospheric uh, density in an artificial shot where, let's say, you've built a spacecraft and now you want to insert it onto a live-action plate, it turns out that most 3D software will create what's called a Z-depth channel. And what that is, it's, it's, it's like a mask channel that you'd have in something like Photoshop that isolates something from the background. So in your 3D program, you make a 3D object. You position it at a certain distance from the virtual 3D camera. And the distance of that object from the camera will create a certain layer of information that literally allows you in a post-process, in other words, after you render, let's say, a 3D object, allows you to add certain amounts of blurring for depth of field effects, lets you add a certain amount of hazing for an atmospheric density effect. The reason I bring all of this up is that in this video, you see the light source, which, by the way, in this video, from what I can tell at this first cursory glance, the light source doesn't seem to be moving at all. It seems like it's stationary in the sky. And then, all of a sudden, there's one little pulse, a straight line of light that comes out of it, and that light does not appear to me to be subject to any of the atmospheric density issues that the light itself is. To me, that's a problem. That, that suggests the potential of that beam of light being added as opposed process. So I'm not saying that's definite, and that's, that, that's what's going on here, but certainly there's a very high degree of possibility of that. Right, but you know what the problem here, David, is we had the same issue last time we spoke over the Malargue photo. Uh, mm -hmm. You said that it wasn't true, and I can't take it off the site because the expert in Argentina has already said that it's real. Mm. So rather than get myself in a situation where I'm actually, let's say, dissing my sources down there, it's, look, if they have been uh, suckered, you know, I'll use that, that, that word, by right. their witnesses, then, you know, that's, that's for them to deal with. As sure. far as I know, I'm not in Buenos Aires. I am nowhere near going to Argentina. This is the information I'm given. Sure. I have to at least, you know, show some kind of good faith. No, absolutely. And, and the thing about what's going, in going on in Argentina is that we're not talking about isolated cases. There's been, uh, in the last year, a tremendous amount of activity in Argentina. So, so here's the thing, Scott. Do you see, in all of that activity, which your blog has been very good at keeping track of, have you seen any kind of patterns emerge that tell you anything about what potentially is happening there? Just on, on, on the quick and dirty, I can tell you it's uh, perhaps the best thing of this, uh, this wave, which is in this 13-month, uh, matter of fact, is that we're going back, let's say, the, uh, the light show up above all the video, all the, uh, the JPEGs, everything. That's one thing. We're going back to close encounters of the second kind. We're dealing now with more ground traces, the possibility of landings, the possibility of uh, interference with terrestrial objects, this Rosario UFO, allegedly, and I'll say allegedly, 
mm-hmm. interfered with uh, traffic signs, interfered with cell phone cameras. There have been cases the past couple of days where you had uh, uh, some folks in northern Argentina wound up with burn rings on their property. Uh, of course, burn rings are always controversial. Could be anything. Could be some mushroom infection. Could be some kind of fungus. But we have to take them as we get them. And yes, if you ask me what, what pattern is emerging, it's a return to good old CE2K. Things that researchers can go there, look at, analyze, see the ground effects. Just going back to December, we had that... Um, I don't want to use the word crop circles because that conjures up a series of images that don't hold true for Argentina. These were more like glyphs in a cornfield in Salta, which is in the Andean region of the country, on the Chilean border. These glyphs appeared from one day to the next. A lot of light show, a lot of people reported seeing structured craft, what have you. A tower, I think some kind of crane was put up on the site, if I remember correctly, to allow for a more generalized photograph of what the the glyph looked like. Certainly, if you look at the photograph, there are chunks missing in the cornfield. It looks like if a pattern exists that could be called some kind of agriglyph or or design, it looks much more like an old-fashioned 1960s computer punch card. It looks like chunks were taken out of the cornfield to to create some kind of pattern. Whether this can be done by um, hoaxers or this is actually something bona fide, then again, that's up to both the people who looked at it up close and for people who, you know, see the photos and want to pass judgment. Are are the photos of those uh, anomalies on the December pages of the... They should be. They'll be either the December or November. Hey, neighbors, the easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time, because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Scott Corrales joins us. We're covering Latin American UFO cases. Looks like 2008 was a banner year. More of the stuff happening in 2009. Scott, while David's looking that up, the beams that are shut out from these craft or whatever. Now, these are like searchlights. They're not, of course, ray beams. You know, they're not shooting down like they did in Earth versus the Flying Saucers, the movie where they shot down these rays and destroyed buildings and things or in Independence Day. This is some kind of light beam, basically. Right. right? The other other kind would be just too exciting. (laughs) These are just just beams. I don't know about exciting. I have another word for it. (laughs) These are just uh, beams, rayos. These are rays of light. 
that have been seen. If you, if you notice, uh, we also have some footage from Mexico. This link appears to be broken. Oh, that's not mm. good. We have some beams from Mexico also on that very same page for this month. Uh, but it's also an older recording, probably t taken in either late 2007 or early 2008. I think I just lost my Internet connection. Well, that's been known to happen on the Internet. That's okay. Yes, in this uh, case, of course, it's really the silence group that's doing it. You know, yeah, sure they are. Right. There we are. I'm back. Hmm. Yeah, if you look, if you, keep, if you uh, go further down on, on our January page, you'll see Mexico being projecting UFO 2007. And that was February 2007. That's, uh, what, a full 11 Come months on. before the original Rosario image. And that was also the same kind of craft, same kind of beam, allegedly. As I said, when you're dealing with these images, we have the text description, which can be interpreted one way. Then you have the actual graphic evidence that's being shown as a support, and then you're going to say, well, this looks hokey, this looks real, I detect the ring of truth, etc. The only alternative in my case would be not to, you know, provide this evidence and simply, you know, do the text. But if it's given to me, I go ahead, I post it, and I'll say, I'll let someone else who has experience go ahead and decide whether it's real or not. Sure. Well, and we're not trying to dissuade you from, from doing that, Scott. Don't misunderstand. No, not at all. Yeah, you couldn't. So, uh, let's try. <laughs> well, we're going to try real hard. To no, no, we're not going to, we're not going to try to dissuade you from doing that. I mean, Seriously. there is a certain point where you, you get to the point where you have to present all of the information and, uh, you do say, okay, folks, we're not going to draw conclusions, and you don't draw conclusions. Ba basically, what you're doing, Scott, is providing a very important uh, service to those of us interested in this topic. You're taking a whole body of stuff. Well, no, but it's true. You're. I mean, I really wish there was someone doing this in the uh, in, in the Russian world. I wish there was someone doing this in the Chinese world. I mean, you're you're, you're taking an entire body of evidence. That may or may not explain anything, uh, but what you're doing is you're taking the, the, the stuff that's in another language, you're translating it, and you're making it available to us. Now, I'm looking at that picture here of the uh, those uh, rings that the guy's standing in the center of. Right. In South America, is there an equivalent of, let's say, a Ted Phillips, who is a very well-known trades evidence researcher here in the United States, who goes around to sites and investigates currently happening stuff and, oh, and yeah. gathers trace evidence. Is there someone or are there people like that down? Of course, in, of course, you know, very many. Well, so, but with technical experience and credentials to back up the kind of work they do? You see, now this brings us into more of a sore point kind of area. The fact that uh, U.S. and U.K.-based researchers believe that there's no one down there qualified enough to do any kind of work and that has alienated a lot of investigators from even being interested in having their information appear in English. Hmm. Uh, there, you have folks down there who are every bit as qualified, if not more so, than Ted Phillips or anyone else you care to mention. Mm -hmm. uh, the gentleman in this case who's mentioned as the expert is not known to me. His name is Carlos Villegas, who is apparently going for some kind of... Um, nuts and bolts, UFO, saucer kind of kind of answer to this. But we do have people, I can give you the names of researchers, Salvatore Carta is one of them, 
I'm trying to think. I, I, I can give you a list. Luis Burgos from the FAO. He's another one. If you'd like me to find their CVs for you, I can ask these gentlemen for them. I mean, that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that'd be very interesting. You know, I... And, and again, just because it, there is obviously a huge amount of activity that's been going on in South America, and like anything else, we know that uh, whenever you look at this kind of stuff, there's some majority percentage, 51% of more or more, that can be explained with conventional means, but there's always a chunk of these things that can't be explained in any normal way. And right. those obviously... Yeah, so the ahead. photograph that you're, that you're referring to, the circles, that... Look, some kind of an agriculturalist could just say, maybe that's some kind of fungus. But if the gentleman who had the experience says, this ring on my property appeared after the experience that, um, that he's describing, some kind of strange noise in the night that uh, petrified him and his wife, they couldn't move, they weren't able to get out of bed to go to the window to take a look. Well, you sort of said, well, this is the... This is the information that he's given us to accompany the story or the journalist rather gave us and when an explicata started before i decided to do this i was just simply writing my own articles for ufo universe for fade for strange magazine what have you then i decided look let's do it so that Whatever's happening, like, like, like a small newspaper, let's make sure the information gets out there on a timely basis, not wait for, for me or for someone else to come up with a magazine article, put it in there, you know, a year later, two years later. And I started getting people saying, well, what about pictures? What about, why didn't someone have a camera? And then we went into that entire riff of, I'm sure people in Latin America have cell phones, have cameras, why don't they use their cameras? This was the rift throughout the Chupacabras years. I, mean, I would not go back to 1995-96 for anything, simply because of that question. And now, I have a cell camera, I, I've never taken a picture with it, and I am a photographer. <laughs> Yet we get all these folks now whipping out cell phones to take pictures in the night of things that could be or could not be something. And it's like, well, you know, so at what, where's the happy medium? This was what, was what I'm wondering. At what point is it okay for me to look at, let's say, Australian ufologists and look at their images or say, well, you know, if someone in Australia said that looks like a light in the sky, I'll take their word for it. I would like to see the very same thing for anything coming out of the Caribbean, out of South America, out of Spain. Yet that seems to be an issue to this very day. Why do you think? I don't know, simply because, as I've said many times, the burden of proof is always made higher for Latin America. That's the place where people have heads growing out under their arms. That's the place where, you know, magic realism comes from. That's my answer. I mean, if I went ahead and said, I guess, what what I'm really thinking, it, it would not be something you'd want to put on radio. Well, but, I mean, look, look at the United States. This is the land of televangelists. I mean, if you want to get into mental masturbation, you could certainly do that and say, well, this is the land of, uh, of so many religious fundamentalists. I think what obviously what we need to do is we need to get those kinds of prejudices out of the equation. I mean, uh, certainly, and it's funny, Scott, when you, when you say that, because 
when I went down uh, the, the year before last to Argentina to get dental work done, a lot of my friends said, you're going to go where to do what? Why are you doing that? Isn't Argentina <laughs> backwards? I said, huh? What are you talking about? It's a modern, it's a modern country. Buenos Aires is a modern city. What are you talking about? Well, it's going to be dangerous. Well, any place is dangerous. What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, people, and certainly, and this is a, this is a part of the problem of American provincialism. Right. Is that, uh, you know, people don't, you know, too many Americans have not traveled overseas, have not experienced the, the wonders of the world and, you know, come to realize that, yeah, like anywhere else. I mean, if, if you go to parts of Tennessee or Alabama, you're going to find people living a lot more backwards than folks in Buenos Aires. So forget about it. There's, there's no comparison. So, oh, yeah. You know, we have but to get beyond all that. But it's just, you know, I'm glad, glad to hear you say that. Uh, it's just remarkable because this, ah, uh, boy, it's many times you have, um, for example, I, I now notice there's an entire crop of uh, UFO-related television shows um, going on now. And some of them are cases that were looked into and made known years ago in Spanish. And now it takes someone from these channels to go and rediscover America. And it somehow becomes real because someone from History Channel went and did it. Right. And uh, it's, uh, I'd like to say it's galling, frankly. But I mean, what 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 can you do? What does one do? So you have a lot of the response of a lot of people down there. It's like, look, it's very it's sweet, Scott, that you go ahead and convey this information in English. We're not interested. In fact, in Spain, major researcher told me about uh, you know this is going back about eight nine years ago. He said the Americans see themselves as the go between between God and the and UFOs, and we're not interested. <laughs> And in fact, and it's true. I mean, they think that it's charming that I go ahead and translate their articles and write about them. They don't care. They don't care. They know what they're doing. That you have one gentleman who uh, works very, very closely with Mufon on photographic uh, matters. He said Juan Ballesteros, but most of them, especially when it comes to high strangeness research. They think, no, 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 thanks. Look, we're doing our own thing. You guys work your side of the street. <laughs> but, but as I said, it's um, now that you were mentioning all this about the photographs and all that, it just it, it, it just kicks up a whole bunch of memories from uh, from the '90s. You know, of uh, how hard it was in the early days of the internet dealing with things like this. But you know, it, it's true. You, whenever whoever's going to provide information, whether it's photographs, videos, or even just some text about a case. We don't know. I mean, which is why it's so easy to hoax. I mean, you, you said yourself, with the um, the amazing amount of technology out there, even what I myself use in limited quantities, since I've never taken a course in it, you have these kids in Mexico City who just to show what they could do, they had the Millennium Falcon doing all kinds of strange maneuvers around Mexico. <laughs> and it's a beautiful piece of footage. And I'm thinking, see, that's what it's all about. Anyone who has that kind of skill should be doing this, not hoaxing UFO material. Right. But, of course, they do it because they get, especially in the wake of Jaime Maussan and all that miasma of UFO, I'm not going to call it deception, I don't want to get sued, but uh, it's just that that entire sideshow. Uh, this, look, it's so easy. If, if you guys think 
this is from the planet Mongo. Wait till you see what we can do. And that's what they've done. They have so many hoaxes for that reason. Which is why, when it comes to you know sensational claims, there's a lot of stuff that I won't touch. And when it comes to the folks that you see me quoting all the time, you see Planeta UFO, you see Vision OVNI, you see Annalisa Siv, they've, they've gone through some pretty rough uh, baptisms of hell dealing with contactees, with wackos, uh, with skeptics. They've taken their punches, and I do trust their, their information. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just me. This is just us. Fake Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Scott Corrales. He has a site in Explicata, and we've linked to it from theparacast.com, so you don't have to remember how to spell it, how to say it, or anything, but it's a great compendium of Latin American cases. Now, I think in terms of prejudices, of course, some of the UFO-oriented prejudices that happens in the backwoods of the United States where these country folk who are quote-unquote ignorant are the only ones seeing things. And when it comes to Latin American prejudice, well, they're all, you know, partying at night and they're drinking too much of the sauce and therefore yeah, they see these wrong. things. So we understand this prejudice is everywhere. And what's unfortunate from what you're saying is that we can't get it together. We can't work together with UFO researchers, knowledgeable, serious people around the world to take all this information, this wealth of information, and figure out what is going on. It's really a tragedy. But, you know, it's, I think that, uh, I'm just going to pick up on what you said about uh, rural U.S. That always, even that image goes right back to, um, to the 50s where you'd always have some kind of rural person, you know, he's out hunting, and then he'll see green aliens, or he'll see the UFO, or he'll see what have you. So there was also that, that, that sense that if you had some kind of higher education, you were somehow immune against seeing UFOs. But then you notice that when people of some kind of, um, you know, no-nonsense, skeptical types, you know, the ultra-rationals, they see something they fall apart. You have so many, just, just, just like anecdotal cases of people who happen to have an unusual experience, be it a ghost, a UFO, God forbid, some kind of abduction experience, and it really eats at them. It chews them up, where someone else will say, oh my gosh, it's, it's them aliens again. Or if they're religious, they'll go to, to their reverend or to their priest. They have 
some kind of, I'm guessing, a framework in, in, in which to fit this experience. But folks who seem to have some kind of, who use edu their education or their whatever as a shield, they're faced with high strangeness. Not only does it paralyze them, it just seems to destroy them. I'm thinking the universe is much more complex than they imagined. Well, I, I can I can say from my own personal paranormal experiences, which which have been many, uh, a number of them happened in South America, a number of them happened here. These things have have been a heavy burden for me, and really more so in the last three years that I've you know basically gone public with a bunch of this stuff as as someone who's relatively intelligent. Uh, I can confirm, Scott, what you were just expressing, that you, you have these things happen, and uh, it will take a perfectly reasonable person and make them a little confused, uh, because so much of this flies in the face of any sort of logic that one could apply. It becomes very difficult, and it brings up another interesting point, and when you, 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 you know, you've now brought up high strangeness more than once, when we have South America where, for example, there is a very significant amount of religious indoctrination. Yes. yes classically, more so even than perhaps the United States in many ways. I agree. Definitely. So, in looking at what's, what's going on there, how do you usefully differentiate things like a psychological projection brought on by, let's say, religious indoctrination and repression? versus objective observations. I mean, where do those two things meet? And especially in a country like Brazil, for example, which which deeply fascinates me because of the culture and, and, and for example, the history of the Cardasis and, and, right. and spirit healing. I mean, so how, does, how do you make sense of this whole big ball? Well, you know, see, that's, that's one of the beauties of it, the whole big ball aspect. The fact that you have not you have Brazil that has its uh, syncretic mix of Catholicism, of Candomblé, of Spiritism, now ufology thrown to the mix. The very same thing as you in the Caribbean, where you would have Santeria, Catholicism, Spiritism, and UFOs. With the fact of it's very hard, I guess, to explain to let's say someone who hasn't been there that you could have a person who was, let's say, a baptized Roman Catholic, who is a practitioner of Santeria in the Caribbean or Candomblé or Umbanda in, in Brazil, yet at the same time does their Cardesian spiritist uh, meditations at night, and at the same time is a firm believer in UFOs, or is a UFO contactee even. So is it just that um, there's some kind of the... Uh, it used to be explained in terms of the high-context, high polychronic society of, let's say, Western Europe, South America versus the low-context, monochronic society of North America, Scandinavia, other parts of the world. And these little sociological handles, I guess, are very, very useful for anyone who's interested. But the fact of the matter remains that you go to Brazil and you see not just the religion, but how ritual, ritualistic um, behavior seems to pour into the UFO field, into the high strangeness field. How in the early 90s, 
Umbanda and Candomblé and all these other religions poured out of Brazil into Uruguay, into Argentina. People started taking to them. People started practicing a lot of ritual magic derived from these beliefs. And you start getting a lot of high strangeness cases involving strange entities, involving UFOs. Um, back in 2000 or 2001, there was a case in Chile, which is a country that's not known for religious extremism, of some kind of revival going on at an area where UFOs were taking place, where UFO sightings were, were occurring, rather, as part of that post-Chupacabras, let's say, high strangeness warp that was going on there. And a lot of the people kept saying that UFOs were appearing during these revivals. Then you started getting cases of um, spirit possession, both in Santiago de Chile and Buenos Aires, in the wake of these events. It's as though some kind of ripple had gone through um, the reality of the space-time fabric. Just Let's just call it that, for like a, a better term. And a lot of different manifestations followed the chupacabras, the UFOs. You started having more ghost cases. You started having strange entities. You started having cases of possession. You started having the um, goblin-like creatures, the imps that seemed to manifest themselves every now and then in northern Argentina and southern Argentina. Um, in fact, I asked uh, Gustavo Fernandez, who's one of the major researchers down there, and he's also very a great thinker on matters religious and philosophical. And I said, you know, Gustavo, what's going on? And he just tried to, he just gave me this, this answer, but the fact he didn't know either. No one has an answer as to what causes these um, these ripples, these strange waves of events of high strangeness. Now, that's all been put aside for 13 months, and we have this endless succession of lights and cases punctuated by the occasional sighting of what we, what we would call aliens, like the Irene case back in 2007 involving two police officers. Um, good old-fashioned close encounters of the third kind. Tell um, us about that case for, for the many listeners who are not familiar with it. Right. I don't have the details on hand, but this would have been November of 2007. Uh, two police officers on the beat in rural Argentina uh, saw light, believed it was some kind of either a downed aircraft or a, a, a stricken bus or something to that effect, approached it, reportedly saw two creatures, um, which I guess would correspond to what we would call the tall greys, something along, the, uh, along those lines. Their sighting was confirmed by residents of a nearby town who saw an object flying overhead, and there were two other police officers who reported to their to their distress call. Um, of course, no further evidence, no photographs taken, nothing to that effect. But it just what I find interesting about the Irene case is that for many years it was said, well. We no longer get cases, those charming cases of the 70s and the 60s, where you'd find on the roadside a you know, broken flying saucer and an alien. They still happen. They don't happen very often. But they do happen in out-of-the-way parts of the world and out-of-the-way out of areas in those out-of-the-way parts of the world. 
Hmm. Are we we looking here at possible window areas for a great portion of these events? Of course, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to Ted Phillips about a place called Marley Woods, which is a place in the central United States that's not specifically named as to its precise location, but it also attracts lots of strange things. And, of course, we have the Skywalker Ranch. We have maybe the Hudson Valley in New York attracts unusual events. All that stuff, it's happening all around the world. I believe it. Yeah. Now, is there any pattern to these locations? In other words, is it all at random? Okay, this country, in Argentina, it's over here. In Brazil, maybe it's here. And maybe it's here in India. Or maybe it's here in the United States. Are they specific geographical distances apart? Or is it totally randomized? You know, that's a good question. All I can say is, in Argentina, you keep coming back to the same two areas. You have... Salta, which is the extreme northwestern corner of, um, of of Argentina, where Argentina, Bolivia, Peru, and Chile sort of meet in that part of that Andean region. That's one of their main window areas. If you look back at the cases going back to at least 2000, and of course in the 70s and the 60s, you see the same place names emerging. It'll be Salta, Neuquén, Jujuy, all those different towns are part of that high strangeness UFO uh, tapestry, then you take a, uh, in a diagonal line across Argentina to the shore, to, to the Atlantic Ocean, you'll have Bahia Blanca, you'll have uh, Necochea. These were all the towns that became famous in the 60s for UFOs that are seen coming out of the ocean. And famous, well, famous and now proven to be spurious disappearances of, like, the Vidal family. The one perfect case of the 60s that everyone said, wow, this family disappeared from Bahia Blanca and they wound up in Mexico City. Well, it turns out to have just been a case mistaken for a movie that had the very same plot called Cheovni. Oh, uh, so, yeah, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a charming movie. Actually, it's very, very 60s in that um, David Hemmings way of, you know, uh, let's say, post-hippie kind of filmmaking. Mm. But um, it was a case where the movie was actually, you know, details from that case wound up in the Vidal case, and before you know it, everyone thought one was the other. However, there have been other disappearances, uh, missing time events in Bayamlanca, Nicochea, plus... Lots of sightings up to recently, let's say 2005, objects coming out of the sea. Uh, if you want to go to some more high strangeness, you also have reports of sea creatures, sea serpents in that area, right off the shore of Nicochea. So those would be the two window areas in Argentina. Of course, Mexico would have its zone of silence up in the northern part. Certainly, Mexico also has um, window areas in the state of Hidalgo. Um, which seem to be, let's say, UFO-prone or haunted areas. We have ghost stories, you have ancient legends going back centuries. Um, Spain certainly also has them. Uh, Brazil, I, I, I wouldn't know, but I'm certainly, I'm sure the Amazon, um, the state of Minas Gerais is also mentioned extensively in UFO Chronicles. Now, what causes these wrinkles, what these, these ripples in space-time or these portals? Um, of course, that, 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 that I leave to better minds to theorize. <laughs> well, and then uh, I've talked at length about the Canaima region in Venezuela. Right, uh, right. 
where the Angel Falls are, where one of the most interesting UFO photos, I've talked about this more than a few times on the show, so I won't bore everybody with it, but uh, a craft emanating a beam, a very interesting beam, a very, in my opinion, real beam in the Kanaima region, a region that has so much UFO activity that there's an entrepreneur down there, a guide down there, a tour guide who's created an entire map of, of the region uh, showing all the different types of UFO and other high strangeness events that have occurred. And now what's most telling about that region is that a lot of it is very, very remote. You don't have a lot of people out there. Uh, it's not like, let's say, what's been going on in the 90s over Mexico City, where there was right, definitely right. a huge amount of activity. And But over one of the most populated regions in the Americas in terms of urban sprawl. So, you know, you, you had situations where you had UFOs manifesting over areas where large numbers of people were prone to seeing them. And that seemed to be one type of thing. But then in the Kanaima region, a huge amount of activity uh, in some places where uh, it's theorized that human beings have never even stepped foot. So uh, you get a picture that either suggests to you that Whatever this is, it doesn't care about whether we know it's there or not. It's almost as if exactly. they don't. Exactly. They whatever it is, it doesn't care that we see it. Um, on one hand, but then on the other hand, one could almost look at the Mexico City stuff and say, well, it almost seems like a kind of a, a very subtle attempt at communication in a way. See, but I like I like I like where you were going with that. Um, the fact that the phenomenon is completely um, alien to our our concerns, our, our likes, dislikes, our, our noticing it. Mm-hmm. It's very much the tree that falls in the wood. Whether there's anyone to hear it, it falls. And you do have stories of people who do see them. Certainly, thinking back to Argentina, people who've seen very, very, very strange things, frankly, in the middle of nowhere, where had it not been for the chance that they were out there exploring or logging and looking for oil for... Um, for YPF, for Yacimientos Petroleros, they would have never, ever seen a UFO, or perhaps there's someone in the area to even see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as though you still had native tribes in Patagonia that still live there and could have traditions, but the phenomenon to me is probably occurring over parts of Antarctica where a completely uninhabited, and it still occurs. Nothing to do with the observer. And yet, whenever the observer, observers are present, they make a big fuss. And that's human nature. That's what we do. Well, we point to the sky. Well, there have been other people, for example, who have looked at, let's say, what goes on in, in Central America. We know that there is a certain subculture in parts of South America that deals with things like uh, the modification of consciousness. Uh, yes. The tribes that experiment with psilocybin or ayahuasca. And um, there is then this prejudice that we see manifest itself many times in, for example, the discussion of UFOs or any of the areas of paranormal activity, where people say, well, how can you trust people who are doing these heavy hallucinogens? And there is an automatic tendency to completely discount the testimony of someone who at some time was known to have uh, participated in the ayahuasca ceremonies. Now, certainly one, one can say, look, if you're, if you're under the, uh, the influence of hallucinogens, to trust your visual cortex at that point, 
and what it's telling you is is a fool's errand. That if you're high on ayahuasca, you're going to see things that clearly are not real. What I can see, though, David, is the fact that this is something that we have to explore in hour number two with Scott Corrales (laughs) on the Paracast. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Yebby. We're back with hour number two. We're talking to Scott Corellis, who is associated with Inexplicata. It's a website that has a collection, a startling collection of UFO cases from around Latin America. David, you were talking about, I guess, the prejudice involved here. People who may have taken some of these substances, quote unquote, and then if they report something later on, some kind of paranormal event, we don't believe them because if you take that kind of substance one time in your entire life, I suppose, then you are forever branded as being incompetent or unreliable. Is that the point? Let's explore one particular piece of information that came out at the beginning of the episode, Scott. Yes. And that is the fact that sightings over the past year or so had begun to take on a close encounter of the second kind kind of aspect. And what I'm wondering here is this whole point where UFOs seem to take on different kinds of tendencies for a year or two. You know, we have the physical traces, and then maybe we'll have radar cases, and maybe we'll have landings and entities. And now it's close, but not too close. So what does that mean? Is that a conscious decision on the part of the UFO entities to engage in a different sort of behavior? Either that or we're just trying to find uh, patterns to all this. Uh, That could also be the case. All I've noticed is that we went from endless reports of lights, all the... uh, In fact, this all started, if if you look back a couple of years, with people taking their so-called phantom UFO photographs, which is simply you point your digital camera at uh, the landscape and suddenly there's a little object you had that was not there when you took the photo. And analysis shows that, yes, it's some kind of object that's there. Now, whether it's um, a bird, an insect, a UFO, whatever, that's another story. But it all started with people beginning to say, hey, look, there's something in the sky that wasn't there when the photo was taken. Then you started getting the reports of, oh, my gosh, these lights are everywhere. They're back, solid objects during the day, lights at night, maneuvers over urban concentrations. Then you started getting the interference cases with... um Yes, you're actually interference from the objects and terrestrial, uh, whether it's vehicle interference, interference with telecommunications. And in that case from 2007, the INA case, you did have that one sighting of, let's say, entities rather than call them UFO occupants. Uh, We don't know that they they were, but they were associated with that that particular object. whether this pattern is actually on the part of whatever guides the phenomenon, or if it's something that we're just trying to find some kind of logic to it, that's another that's another kettle of fish, as they say. Um, I have noticed, or this used to be the case uh, years ago at least, that there was a pattern in Puerto Rico that seemed to hold true. 
you would have UFOs leading to, let's say, poltergeist-type cases, leading to the manifestations of very, very strange birds, uh, pterodactyl-like birds, very strange-looking, you know, uh, T-bird-type uh, type creatures, and then they would wind up in mutilations. That held true. That, that's happened in the 50s, it happened in the 70s, then in the 90s. If that pattern that applied to Puerto Rico holds true, it'll repeat again in 2025. So anyone who's alive then wants to check it out, just to make sure the pattern actually holds. For Argentina, since these things are happening in parts of the country where there is um, some kind of track record, I said Salta, uh, Necochea, Bahia Blanca, those, the, the, those parts of the country. Perhaps we could say that, yeah, things are repeating. Um, but the intentionality of it is what uh, is anyone's guess. Hmm. What about the, the idea, Scott, that the cultural environment uh, presents an opportunity for high strangeness to manifest itself more predominantly because it fits in with the cultural framework in which is happening, and also at that point then suggesting that there is some element of human psychological projection in these various phenomena, because we, you know, you've just mentioned that there are, like in Puerto Rico, these cases where you had UFO sightings, then somehow connected to poltergeist activity, then somehow uh, being tied to mutilation stuff, um, the chupacabras being another interesting thing where it almost seemed like that was a sociological wave that happened. It came, it peaked, and then it went away. Um, do, you, do you think that there is something to the idea that some more skeptical thinkers put forward that um, psychological projection does play a role in these phenomena? You know, that I... Um it sounds very, very convenient to just say, well, people can put themselves into a frame of mind that allow these things to happen. Uh, when I was looking into Chupacabra's cases, the people that I was able to interview had strange blood-sucking entities the furthest from their mind. They were just trying to get by in the world. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, one of the gentlemen who I mentioned in my Chupacabra's book, I, I, can still, I can still see his facial expression right now. He, what he wanted to know, he felt, look, I've told you what you wanted to know, what the creature looked like, what it smelled like, what it did. Now, you, Mr. Researcher, tell me, why should I have been selected for this dubious honor? Hmm. Uh, he was not interested. His wife certainly could have cared less. The, this all happened during the holiday seasons. They were getting ready for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Being religious people, they probably felt, does this show that we are somehow lacking in our in our faith or in our devotions? And we've been we've been given a tap of the shoulder that if you don't um, if you don't pick up on on the religious part, you're going to be visited by more and more strange things like this. That's what seemed to concern them more, rather than being in some kind of frame of mind that would enable them to. Um, to see UFOs, to see strange entities, or, or what have you. Now, as to entire populations being more prone to um, 
um, or willing to see this phenomenon or, or see things like it, mm-hmm. we can go right back to the high-context uh, societies. Maybe there's more of a willingness um, so to indulge in the fantastic. Um, you look at, at magic realism, even though it's considered a literary current, people can tell you strange things that have happened in their daily lives that do seem fantastic. In a culture like that, if someone says, look, I saw a strange light in the sky, what could it have been? Whenever you have conversations, a number of theories will come up. No one will automatically say, well, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. Uh, there are no lights in the sky. Uh, what, you should be looking down instead of up. I've never seen money fall up. You, you'll get that kind of, of reaction in uh-huh. the low-context society. Um, it used to be, as I've said many times, I remember the first time I was on the Paracast, I mentioned this, that in the 70s when I was a schoolboy for second grade in Mexico City, our teachers were convinced because of the space program. I mean, the space program meant so much more throughout Latin America than it did stateside, I believe. But that's, that's my belief. Where you had, you know, grade schools named after Neil Armstrong, and you had uh, people wearing Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins T-shirts all over the place. And our teachers were convinced that, look, we've gone out of our planet. Now our, quote-unquote, space brothers, see, we can do this. They're manifesting themselves. So by the time you kids are all our age, you will be living in a world where contact with non-humans, will be a routine thing. You will have been blessed to have seen it from the beginning. Um, and to you and your children, it will be a normal thing. That was the mindset. Mm. There was never any kind of, well, you, we, we can't teach you have you kids being interested in this. This is insane. It's not logical. It was much more, I don't know, much more gentle understanding approach, I'd, I'd even say. There, it's the the world or the universe was weirder than we could imagine, and so it was to our teachers. They saw everything that was happening, all those fantastic UFO cases of the late 60s, early 70s, as simply part of, I guess, some kind of opening to the greater realities of the universe, and they conveyed that to us. And when I moved to Puerto Rico, I saw it was exactly the same. People spoke after, after having had several UFO waves in the very early 70s. By 1975, there's no question about the reality of the phenomenon. It didn't matter what the origin was, whether you said it was another planet, another dimension, whether they were intraterrestrial. That didn't seem to matter. The fact is that things were not quite as cut and dried. In the 70s, you had much greater acceptance. To my mind, at least the way that we were raised as children, our instructors felt that we were going to be blessed to be living in an age where man had just gone to the moon. In the future, there would be space colonies. We would be in space, and entities from space notice that the extraterrestrial hypothesis was the law of the land, even though others believed in, you know, spiritist answers, they believe that could be interdimensional or what have you. And that openness at the time, I'm talking about 1970 to 1975 time frame, seemed to be pervasive. Things have changed 
in an open-minded society like Mexico was or like Puerto Rico was or like Spain was. Now, because of the amount of hoaxes and the number of, uh, let's call them showmen, who've tried to make a living out of ufology or out of high strangeness, you have a population becoming much more calloused, much more hardened against the unknown. Um, What's well, true everywhere, I think, these days. We have been hardened against acceptance, and it's hard to believe anything. We don't believe in governments anymore. Governments, they're all a bunch of crooks. If you look at the U.S. Congress, had an approval rating before the last election of something like 15 or 20 percent, and certainly the new government, it'll get its chance and it'll be just as bad. from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters, you know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO Magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time when we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. Scott Corellis joining us. His site, Inexplicata, is where he keeps an incredible repository of Latin American cases. And we're discussing the changes of attitudes, cultural attitudes over the years. And does that in any sense make us less sensitive to strange happenings around us? I would like to think that the minute we start doubting these things, well, we, of course, we, we have to approach things rationally, logically, uh, hopefully, hopefully sort of compassionately, if nothing else. But societies that used to just say, look, this is part of our... If it, like you mentioned Brazil. If our society can embrace traditional religion, um, let's say cult religion, spiritism, the belief in UFOs just becomes something else to be welcome to the table. We'll just, you know, we'll... Uh, We'll water the soup and there'll be enough for everybody. That used to be the, uh, the approach. Now, so many people have tried to uh, benefit materially from the phenomenon that it's just become, okay, so at what point is there a reveal? At what point do we get to see the trick? At what point does it turn out to be some kind of special effect? And what used to be, I guess, you know, this kind understanding approach is dissipating um, mainly and you know this is very unfair on my part to blame it all on something I go right back to the X-Files 
I believe that the overuse of the term X-file, describing this as an X-file, describing a researcher as the Fox Mulder of this country or that country, uh, with a generation growing up watching that show for eight, uh, eight to ten years, however long it was on the air, seeing that, well, it wasn't all quite what we thought it was. It all seemed to be misdirection. And they started thinking, well, perhaps all these people who write the magazines, who appear in the documentaries, who go, these itinerant conference goers from one city to the next, maybe they're all part of this uh, great show of misdirection. I think that really resonates, Scott, and I think that there are a lot of people who think that the X-Files were a good thing for the discussion of the paranormal. And, and I, uh, someone who did used to watch it when it was on, now look back at it and think that it, it, did, it did a huge disservice in that what, what really happened with it is that it turned this into nothing more than another form of entertainment for consumers. Absolutely. I agree. And, and consumers don't want things to be complex and subtle. They want to have their three-act play, their three-act story, where in the end there is resolution. In the end, the guy gets the girl. The reveal happens. In the end, there is, there is a clean closure. And if you don't have that clean closure, it creates, in most people, a sense of dissatisfaction in that they didn't get their payoff. And so why should they even put more time or understanding? This, of course, then also speaks to the problem of oversimplification, where whenever you see the media talk about this, and we've said this many times on the Paracast, you always see the term UFO attached to the term extraterrestrial. That's right. And, and, and it's, it's just not doing a service to the furthering of understanding or even any kind of a reasonable discussion of, of what's really going on. And stepping one f- step further back even from that, it does seem like if you look at what happened in South America, at some point um, there was a, a concerted effort to move more towards consumer society. The American model of consumer society was sold to the world as this is what you want to strive for, and uh, I know that since I left South America, I moved. I moved back to the states in 1979. From everything that I gather, the, for example, the power of the Catholic Church has really eroded significantly from where it was in the 70s when I was there to where it is now. And so, what ends up happening is that as you have this move towards consumerism, uh, consumerism doesn't leave room for belief systems. It, it sort of, it, 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 like I said, it basically boils everything down to three acts. Everything is reality TV. We know reality TV is fake. Therefore, everything we watch which pretends to be real or is presented as real is also fake. That's right. And one could argue that this does sometimes feel like it is by design. And at a time when we have things like the Internet, such a great vehicle for distributing, disseminating, information regarding these topics, um, it seems almost like uh, that same medium has allowed charlatans and hoaxers to propagate their nonsensical messages, and very often what almost appears to be 
disinformation messages. And that, of course, then also puts us in, in very murky waters. But I want to step back for a moment, Scott. There's something about looking at inexplicata that hits me, it strikes me, and I want your, your opinion about this. Um, so many of the events that we see in South America center around lights in the sky. There's a lot of that. And one could say that since the 60s and the 70s, there has been a move away from the structured metallic craft that are so commonly reported and were so relatively commonly photographed to more of lights in the sky now, which um, I know there are a number of researchers that are, are hesitant to make definitive statements about lights in the sky because they're just that lights in the sky. But specifically what I want to ask you, in the United States, in, in the Stevensville occurrences in Arizona, in uh, Phoenix, you know, 10 years, 11 years ago, we, we have what appears to be more and more of, a, um, of an appearance of these large triangular craft have we seen anything like that in South America? In fact, it seems like most of the reports in South America are of lights in the sky. Are there reports of large triangular craft that would mirror those that we see in the States? You know, uh, back in the 90s, there were reports of triangular craft at boomerangs. Um, certainly in Spain, uh, there have been reports of triangles and they usually get thrown in with well these must be advanced military craft the so-called with the TR of the TR3A the -hmm. Black Mamba things to that effect Um, what South America was famous for aside from the lights which to my mind are are still a pretty new development of all these lights you had the the cigar shaped craft the the so-called motherships Las Naves Nodrizas, as they were called in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very much an artifact of the 60s. People would see them. I don't know if they were photographed, but they were always being reported. Um, when it comes to the lights, I think a lot of people simply took uh, the late Ivan Sanderson's um, policy of just filing lights in the sky uh, away as, you know, completely useless for purposes of reporting. Uh, but if there's nothing else, you'll hold on to that picture of a light in the sky or that report, which traditionally, I guess, in a wave that includes other phenomena, you'll just go ahead and say, well, you know, that's secondary. We'll put it in, you know, just uh, as, we'll take it under advisement, just, you know, another light in the sky. That, that's all there is to it. But if you feel that you can put this on your website or it's part of your report or look at I took a picture of it what do I do with it now and there's nothing else then that becomes an artifact in its own right Uh, certainly what I miss greatly are those cases that that you mentioned the ones we had structured craft Mm -hmm. you had those landing marks you'd have the burn marks on the pavement and of course cases involving Occupants. Right. I mean, if, if I ever had a chance to sit down and, and, and write again, like I used to, um, I, there, there's some cases I'd love to revisit um, that occurred in Puerto Rico, that occurred in Mexico, involving just creatures, nothing else, just entities. Uh, whether associated with UFOs or not, just beings that appeared at a given moment and right. were either a source of wonderment or a source of terror to, to the witnesses. 
But you're right, we haven't had those. Like I said, the Irene case is a uh, something we can just put aside a couple of years before. We had another incident involving possible aliens in Argentina. But nothing similar coming from the rest of Latin America that, that has not been called into question as either photo manipulation or hoax or uh, simply kids having a good time. Let me ask you a question about that, Scott, because um, obviously in the last 20 years, uh, what has captured a lot of attention here in cases reported in the United States are these abduction events that seem to bring up uh, very similar types of entities, uh, you know, the whole sort of uh, prototypical uh, medical examination. Um, do we see a paralleling? Of that in South America, I mean, certainly if we go back to the infamous uh, uh, Via Boas, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but yes, Via uh, Boas, yes, Via Boas, um, yeah, that would seem to be an early forerunner to the times uh, types of abduction cases that we've heard about later in the states. Though in many ways it was it was almost unique in certain aspects of it compared to the the sort of quintessential abduction case. But was there any mirroring? of what we saw happening here in the States in the last 20 years in South well, my, America? I think my first uh, instinct would be to, to just jump and say, nope, nothing nothing like it. Mm -hmm. uh, none of the cases, uh, let's say the, the Bud Hopkins uh, School of Abduction Research, none of that appears to have happened in South America, at least not in the 90s, in the same time frame. Mm -hmm. um, now, that being said, yes, there were cases of alien abduction, so-called, whether these were, again, people's mental experiences or contact from beings of other dimensions. That's another story. Right. Um, you did have a lot of interest in Spain in this very same time frame. As people began reporting uh, abduction experiences to researchers, in fact, I may have mentioned researcher um, to you in a previous time on the, on the show, uh, who actually stayed with an adoptee in her home uh, to see if he could catch one of these incidents playing out. He mentioned that they sat down to dinner and they could hear distant sounds that filled them both with a bit of trepidation. As she went to bed, and he went to another room just, let's say, to, uh, to stand guard. He found himself unable to move, felt this sense of fear, this mounting fear, overcoming him. Then, as he looked out that bedroom door to the hallway leading to, let's say, the, the recipient's bedroom, he saw a small, large-headed creature filing past very slowly. He was at all, at all points of this experience, he was perfectly awake, he was terrified, he could not move. Uh, in later years, I know that he said, well, maybe I was part of some kind of folie deux, I was caught in her vibe, and I saw this. But as far as his original report, he's been one of the few researchers to actually see a gray alien. This would have been Barcelona, 1991. So it goes to show you whatever was happening, even though, let's say that the gray aliens, you know, we speak of them as though they were a brand of a product of the gray alien. Right, um, sure. 
whatever they happen to be, whatever that is, that did not form a part of reports in the Spanish-speaking world, mostly. Yes, you did have some cases in Puerto Rico, but now you could also invoke um, sociological reasons, the fact that Puerto Rico is a commonwealth under the U.S. flag, English and Spanish are spoken uh, indistinctly. Uh, you have great cultural uh, contamination for American culture, television, Absolutely. anything. Yeah. So yeah. why would you not also get this aspect manifesting itself down there when it was never there before? Usually, you would get very, very tall entities, very strange-looking, uh, mouthless, eyeless entities, or very large eyes and no mouths. You'd get something you were not seeing here even during, let's say, the big 1973 humanoid wave uh, that I think was all over uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, most of the Midwestern states were seeing UFO occupants, as Lynn Stringfield you know, described in, in his own works. Um, but not the Greys. The Greys seemed to have been something that was being seen exclusively in North America. And, and as, I, as I did mention at the time, in a magazine article, I think uh, it it, go, it it harkened back to the belief that the Earth was divided into the provinces of different <laughs> demons, and each demon would have its own characteristic, according to the part of the world it happened to govern. And you would get, let's say, the angelic type somewhere else. You might get these, you know, screaming, angry monsters in Latin America. Sometimes you'd had the uh, the blonde Cartesian ones over in France who would appear and have nice conversations with farmers. So the phenomenon seemed to appear differently from parts of the world. You get robots, sometimes mechanical creatures. So who knows? Yeah, it's funny, those robot creatures uh, turn up time and time again in Russia. That's right, the Voronezh. Very, um, yeah, very weird. Um, and uh, down in Venezuela, I know that back in the 50s, there were those cases of the small hairy creatures, which had a comparable mirroring in, I believe, Kentucky. There was this infamous case with this terrified family uh, with these hairy creatures uh, jumping around the roof and stuff. I mean, one could make the argument that it almost sounds like there are different species that essentially have rights to different parts of the earth, and uh, they tend to stay out of each other's territories, almost like the old neighborhoods in New York City. Uh, right, right. <laughs> get that kind of kind of a weird thing. And speaking of, of of neighborhoods and weird things, hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. 
Trump. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380. 800-715-4380. Or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com. 1-800-715-4380. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? You're listening to the Paracast, and uh, we have with us today Scott Corrales, our favorite uh, blogger that dealing with uh, Latin American UFO realities is uh, his uh, blog Inexplicata is really sort of the go-to information source for keeping up to date in what's happening in, in Central and South America on the UFO front. Uh, Scott, this this brings up another question that I, I wanted to ask you about. There's one country that we never really hear much of anything about. Uh, because of what has been a long-standing information embargo against it, Cuba. What what do we know about UFO sightings in Cuba? Do we know well, anything at all? We can start by saying that they have a very active uh, UFO community. Really? Unfortunately, uh, they're, they're, they're very, very active. They're very enthusiastic. They do get cases. They have had some very, very interesting cases. In fact, I think we did publish... A monograph called Ufology in Cuba. You might want to look that up on, on the Inspicata blog. And more recent cases than that, even. But, but they are still, because of the information embargo, their approach is still very much, let's say, a, a mid 1960s take on on the phenomenon where you begin a monograph or an article on the subject by citing Jules Verne and all the science fiction <laughs> runner-ups before you actually get into your case. Or you start by saying, that's right, um, in the Bible you have all these lights that could have been UFOs. So there's still where we were, I'm guessing, around the time when, let's say, uh, when True Magazine, when uh, Searchlight, when Pursuit, when all those publications were out. That's where Cuban ufology is right now. Now... That being said, they do have some very, very good cases involving landings. And they have some landing cases that have been very, 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 very... And, and of course, unfortunately, my mind's not the bear trap it used to be. I can't mention any of the dates or times. But these would be cases going back to the 80s, some of them from the 90s, and, of course, some classics from the late 50s before uh, the Castro regime, when things were still being seen. Uh, even right after, just as cases were occurring throughout the Caribbean, uh, Puerto Rico had a very, very active 1950s UFO wave, so did the Dominican Republic. Cuba was no exception. Now, as to where in Cuba these sightings are occurring, you have the western tip of the island seem to be a hotbed. Anything around Pinar del Rio, the Havana area, and of course, out towards Sierra Maestra and toward Camagüey, to that province, that's full of swamps, that's full of mountains. They have their own folklore going back centuries, involving very small creatures. Um, 
some of the, it, it, it depends on, I'm guessing, what native dialect you're using. The small creatures are called Chichiricusis in Chichiricusis. That's, I think, a Lukumi word. And then Dijes, which I think is an old Spanish word for imps. Um, and that, 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 that's what they're called. They're, and I think that someone has actually tried to include them into, like, um, some cryptozoology frame of reference as aquatic apes, hmm. these little guys. But be that as it may, that's part of the folklore, the lights, the small entities, that's all that part of Cuba by the mountains. Parenthetically, Scott, how's the Cuban government react to this sort of thing? Are they trying to suppress this information or what? Well, that's hard to say. It seems that the, the UFO community down there they communicate quite freely over the internet, believe it or not, with everyone in Latin America. Uh, a lot of their publications on the subject seem to be translations of Chinese and Russian publications, like Orozi, which was very popular. Uh, I think Orozi may have had a couple of issues in English back in the early 90s, but it's basically your 70s style paranormal publication that'll have a UFO article something on ESP and something about, um, I don't know, strange powers of the mind in the past. Uh, and that's what they receive, that's the information they get. Now it's different through the net, they're getting a lot of the cases routed to them from the big Latin American sites like Archivos Forteanos, which is, you know, massive, it's a massive compendium of, of information. And a lot of them Orestes Girbao, being probably the most prominent Cuban ufologist at the moment, um, he has his own section in Archivos Forteanos, and he's getting a lot of readers. So more and more stuff keeps coming out of Cuba, but I'm guessing compared to the stuff that we get, it, it's, it's still very small potatoes. Hmm. But it is happening. I mean, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening, and as to the government having, let's say, a. a uh, a point of view, like, are UFOs uh, capitalists, you know, or something. I, that's not been made known to me by anybody. I think that, by and large, they are afraid, you know, well, could this be used by the CIA? Of course, then, allow me a digression. It seems everything that happens in Cuba or used to is always seen as some kind of plot by the CIA. So if anyone reports, you know, seeing greys, they're probably small CIA you know, agents, I don't know. So, so that's, that's, with a little bit of humor, you can also throw that in. <laughs> the thing is, and, and what people need to understand, is that there is, and, and continues to be, and especially in the last year, there definitely is a significant amount of activity throughout all of South America. There are hot spots for this, but um, there's a tremendous amount of activity. And so that brings up a question, Scott. You know, we have the show UFO Hunters, and, and you should know that I've talked to Bill Burns about why it is that they won't go down to South America and look into cases. Because you've got things like in Argentina, you have things going on right now. Not things where the leads are cold and there's nothing to really look into that's fresh. Um, but you have stuff going on right now. And, and I've asked Bill, like, what's the deal with this? Why don't you put together a crew that can go down there? We know of areas where there's activity. Uh, there are resources down there. I mean, I, I've, of course, offered to go down as a 
as one of the researchers and a translator uh, in dealing with this stuff, um, why do you think there has been a sort of a hesitance to, to, to have that happen? And is that also true for South American media? I mean, you would think that some, some enterprising researcher down there would, would, would basically be able to put together uh, a potential TV show that wasn't Jaime Moisson. So what, what's the, what do you think that's not happened? You know, that is a good question. I think, of course, they do have their own shows. There are a lot of broadcasts in Mexico, certainly. Small shows, I guess we would try to file them under public access. We do have, uh, Mexico has a number of small programs. I mean, Nino, Nino Canun was the host of one of them. He was much more like, I'm trying to think of the kind of show host that we would have here. Maybe someone along the lines of, um, uh, well, well, belay that. We do have shows down there that have specialized in UFOs. Uh, going back to the 1970s, you had Bezo Ferris. Uh, his show, Un Mundo Nos Vigila, was probably the very first of its kind in the Spanish-speaking world. Of course, Spain has Juan Jose Benitez. He had a number of shows uh, that you know did attract large, large audiences. Now, as to why you won't have these large U.S. shows going down there, could it be a matter of logistics, just setting up, um, you know, usually they call me for help, you know, if I can set them up with people. Many times I'm now starting to find that when these shows, and I'm not going to mention networks, of course, All right. they go down to Puerto Rico, to Mexico, what have you. The people down there feel exploited. The people down there who get, take time off work to show them around, to, you know, perhaps have an impromptu uh, sky-watching party just so they can film something, they feel used, they feel exploited by these networks. And usually, since I'm the one who, you know, put them in touch with them, I, I get the blowback. But mm. uh, they, they, as I said, this doesn't answer your question, I know, but I, these are the thoughts that come, that come to mind. Yeah. Are there major individuals who could put on shows showcasing things in their country there are will they ever do them in english unlikely these things seem to be for local consumption and they're on very restricted channels for example um Ana Luisa Cid, a contributor to Nexplicata, one of our contributing editors i should say uh, has a program on channel 29 in the city of pachuca uh, outside Mexico City, and it, it, it's a, 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 I think it's a twice-weekly show uh, with evidence, footage, interviews, and yet it's not the kind of thing that you, you may pick it up perhaps someday as a webcast, but nothing that would ever have, let's say, the um, the appeal of UFO Hunters or one of these mm -hmm. other new shows on television. Mm -hmm. That makes me sad uh, because, like I said, there is current activity happening and uh, shows like UFO Hunters perhaps have access to some resources that would allow them to be productive to perhaps do some good uh, in looking into the South American episodes. It, it, it really makes me sad and it makes me frustrated uh, to think that if you go in with a helicopter crew to the Canaima region you might be able to find some really fascinating stuff. 
at the same time, it, it, it does often feel that um, there are leads that, that just won't, people won't follow. I'll give you an example of this. I've been reading some really fascinating stuff about this um, mother, daughter, and husband who had been living in New York City and moved to Puerto Rico. And um, the the mother and the daughter were having these outrageous UFO and, and entity experiences in Puerto Rico. Um, they were reporting really wild stuff. Uh, and I think it I think the town is called Aguada. Aguada, yes. Yeah, this woman Maria and her daughter and uh, I'd seen some stuff on this uh, I guess about a month ago and I was reading about it and I, 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 I didn't do a ton of follow-up on it, but it seemed like there were legitimate experiences they were having. It seemed that way. They seemed very upset. And these were happening back in these were happening back in I think 2006 and 2000. Actually, 2005 is when they started, and then they they kept going on for a couple of years. Do you know anything about uh, what I'm talking about, Scott? I, I saw the um, the news items coming through online, yeah. but I never looked into them themselves. Uh, Aguada and Aguadilla are two cities along the the Mona Channel, uh, which is famous for UFO sightings. Again, the same thing of motherships. Lights coming out of the water, structured craft going back to the 50s and probably before that. Hmm. Then again, all of western Puerto Rico, particularly that southwestern area hmm. that was so famous in the 90s for Laguna Cartagena, that body of water that attracted so many tourists hoping to catch a glimpse of lights coming in out of the water, even though the lagoon was probably knee deep at the deepest. Hmm. Um, that entire area seems to have been, let's say, jinxed with UFO activity for, for years. Right now, we have a group down there, uh, Argus PR. Uh, they are the ones who seem to do most of the work in that area. Um, and it usually involves everything from ghosts to reports of aliens to reports of lights. And, of course, the, the, the importance of the water's depth in that area, some of the deepest waters on the planet, happen to be right off the shore. And you really? do have the belief that there could be some kind of materialization point, a base, something to that effect to account for all these sightings. The fishermen in the 90s were so tired of seeing the lights. And sometimes many people would say, oh, look, it's some kind of cruise ship. And it would be some huge cigar-shaped glowing object just apparently floating on the water several miles out to sea. And the, it, it was something that people were just sick and tired of reporting to the point where they stopped. It stopped being newsworthy like many of these things. It's not that, for example, Chupacabra's cases stopped in Puerto Rico. They just stopped being newsworthy. And after the one newspaper, El Vocero, stopped publishing stories, uh, the other papers in the area, like the San Juan Star that no longer exists, never again carried stories about it. Hmm. Uh, most of these cases are just become uh, reports circulated among researchers, uh, stuff that gets posted to the web nowadays, to people's websites. But the press seems to just, look, we can't keep writing or devoting a valuable um, fool's cap to <laughs> To these stories just repeat more and more and more lights, more and more cases, more and more people pointing their fingers at the sky. 
And after a while, this is the saturation point that I see with, that we all end up experiencing. Even in Explicata, people in another uh, blogs, activity in Argentina has become so commonplace, there's no point in reporting it. And in a way, it's like, yeah, well, how, much, how many more cases of a light here, a light there, a terrified couple sees something flying over their car, how many more cases do we need before we say, well, we've had enough, we have, there's clearly something's happening here, now what is it? That is the question that I firmly believe is not going to be up to us to answer. That's going to be the best that we can hope to do with all of this stuff. All those months and months of three years of information on the Explicata blog, uh, the most we can hope is that somehow in the future someone is going to have the answer, the resources, the wherewithal to just incorporate this into their research, helping to find, I guess, the ultimate answer, if there is any, to this phenomenon that's been bedeviling us since 1947. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. You're listening to the Paracast, and today we're talking with Scott Cordalis, UFO researcher in the realm of Latin America, with his blog Inexplicata. You know, Scott, as you were saying that, it's funny what went through my head. Here we have a media that is obsessed with things like Britney Spears' every move or the weight gain and loss of uh, TV starlets and movie starlets. And they seem to have an endless appetite to report on these incredibly ridiculous, uh, in many ways, just useless things. And yet you have these ongoing episodes of really, really fascinating UFO activity, and there's a, there's a hesitance. Now, what's really strange about that, and I find very, very odd about that, and uh, Jeff Ritzman and I have talked quite a bit about this, Jeff being a... Uh, someone I've done a lot of uh, uh, talking with about these topics, and he's well-known to all of the listeners of our show as an experiencer and an image analyst. Um, but something that we've, we've noticed is that it's almost as if there's this underlying thing going on. And, and this, is, this gets us into high strangeness of a whole other kind. But it's as if people are 
being influenced, and, and this is going to go right into the strange bucket, and, and there's some people who are going to listen to this who are going to say, what, has Biedney lost his mind finally? <laughs> but finally? It's a, yeah, well, yeah. It's been an ongoing process, and uh, just achieving a, a critical mass now. But it, it almost seems as if, while there's a huge amount of public interest in this stuff, the media and people in the media don't report it because... For some reason, they feel compelled not to. And and this brings up some dark stuff. This brings up some really weird stuff where, gee, maybe free will is not what we think it is. And maybe there is something that is affecting our behavior in a way that um, we just as soon laugh at this because it's it's sort of like the path of least resistance. It's the easiest thing to do to just laugh at this. If we want to talk about it seriously, well, now all of a sudden, it's almost as if people find they have a hard time doing that, and they can't exactly explain why. And, and, and it's very odd. The impression I've always had is the illusion of respectability that people feel, if we keep away from the subject, will it make us look more respectable? Or conversely, if we've been part of this subject of high strangeness, ghosts, UFOs, will suddenly turning tables and going onto the side of the skeptics mm -hmm. help us regain our credibility and respectability. Um, I'll just give you what I think is an egregious example. The San Juan Star, Puerto Rico's main English language newspaper until it disappeared maybe a year or two ago. Throughout the height of the Chupacabras incidents of 1995-1996 would only run a Chupacabra story if it came from a newswire. They would never allow any of it. There was a, a debunking piece in one of their Sunday supplements, as I remember. But no local stories, nothing local, was allowed on. It had to come from AP. They certainly trusted their local reporters, huh? <laughs> I think they just probably felt, look, we are so respectable. Our advertisers consider us to be the paragons of everything that's, that's well and good on the island. That we're not going to lower ourselves to reporting something um, like UFOs or monsters or what have you. So, but if it comes, if it's been run through, you know, through the, the purifying influence of AP, then yeah, sure, it came from outside. We, 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 can, we, can, we can run that. Meanwhile, all the other newspapers kept posting day after day all of these accounts, which became the backbone of everything we know about the creature's manifestations on the island during that time period. And now, let me just add to that, I think that the obsession over starlets and weight gain and weight loss, I think you have the very same, just change the names, and you have the very same reaction in Spain and Latin America. Maybe the same boilerplate copy, too. You know, they just translate it and they just change the names, you know. You know Instead of Britney Spears, it's whoever that person Shakira. is. See. <laughs> it could be Shakira the next time, you never know. To me, the answer lies in the, the illusion of being respectable. Even if there is an interest in this subject, do we want to attract, quote-unquote, that kind of reader? Do we want our advertisers to be chased away by the thought of, oh, no, now they're talking about UFOs or ghosts or Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or the Bermuda Triangle? Well, I understand what you're saying. If you step back and look into this objectively and logically, that doesn't make sense. 
how is a, a movie starlet's breast size more respectable than UFOs? This is where I, I start to think there's something else going on. Uh, something far more noxious, something that we don't understand or realize that we're not supposed to be aware of, that we're not supposed to question. This is where, I have to say, lately looking around at the craziness that's happening at so many levels of our, of our society, of our reality, I start to think of myself, is everybody just gone completely crazy? Is there some mass psychosis happening? If you filter the world through that lens, if you say, okay, let's assume for a minute that everybody is just being psychotic, then you start to get to the point where certain things start to make sense. And, and that worries me. And this is something I think about a lot. And then I start to wonder, am I just being paranoid? And, and I don't know that I am. I, I, I look at the way that these topics are dealt with, and it seems like, and, and I understand what you're saying, Scott, and I totally, I get where you're coming from, that people don't want to touch this because of the respectability factor. But when I hear that, like I said, I, I complete the sentence. You, you have a, a respectability problem with UFOs and the unknown, but there's like no respectability problem with nipples or, or the size of a, of a, of a person's rear end. I think, you know what, that doesn't make sense. I, I think that there's every bit the same respectability problem there as there are with UFOs. And then, you know, there's part of me that says, well, maybe it's just that people are stupid as rocks. And, and, and nobody ever went broke overestimating just how stupid people can be. I mean, hence the pet rock product. Well, there's also so, a site now, David, where I won't mention the site. I don't think they deserve the hits. Where they're displaying the face and a little bit more than the face with the woman who has the largest cup size on the planet. Oh, That's geez. all they care about. There you go. And this is a supposedly respectable site where they have mostly politically oriented current events type stuff. I won't mention it. I think most people know what it is. Uh, of course, one could say sex always sells. And if we could somehow figure out how to mix together uh, uh, sex and UFOs, then, then you'd have something. So sexy UFO knots. They used to have that in the 50s. You know, Howard Manager met a sexy right. woman. You know, he was the sign painter from Highbridge, New Jersey. He met the sexy woman. Who, Marla, that's right. Marla, right. So it goes, you know, we have so little time left and so much to cover. Would you tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you if they maybe have friends or relatives in Latin America and they have information to present to you? How do they reach you? I guess the, their best bet would, would be to contact Nexplicata at the address lornis1, L-O-R-N-I-S-1, at yahoo.com. And, of course, please stop by our blog at explicata.blogspot.com. Right, and by the way, we have a link to it at thepowercast.com. When they click on your name, Scott, they go right to the site. Terrific. Right, you don't have to remember all that stuff. <laughs> Save them the trouble. Right, what are your goals for 2009 in two minutes or less in trying to assemble more information? I would like to go back and revisit some of the more interesting cases up involving close encounters of the second kind, some of the, the vehicle interference and uh, ground effects. Uh, I think that's where the Argentinian wave is going to be the most productive and where the most interesting outcome is going to be found. 
All right. Well, do you think it's going to then move to another direction where then we'll have more landings, more creature sightings again? Well, if the landings begin to happen, you know where to come to to check them out. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Well, we, we love having you on the show, Scott. We uh, we appreciate what you're doing. Thank and, you so much. Uh, you're one of the good guys. Just uh, know that we, we feel strongly about that. So Thanks. Thank I really appreciate it. Tanta gracias. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.